names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. Welcome to Escaping Society, episode 59, Smell That Honeysuckle. I'm Teresa. I'm Gumby. And we are off of the Blue Ridge Parkway in the occupied lands of the Peaks of Otter Salamander. That's pretty specific. Actually, we're not at the Peaks of Otter, but we're nearby. And uh, I'm not even sure if that salamander exists anymore, but I, uh, I sure hope it had an awesome existence when and if it's still alive. Gumby. Hmm. This uh this episode we're going to be talking about gratitude. And we mentioned attitude in a previous podcast. Uh, I don't know if you want to share anything about that as far as a uh, survival. Yeah, I started uh, a conversation about the priority of survival back in uh, I think that was season 2 we did back to reality and um I talked about how the the biggest priority of survival is attitude. Um and that is definitely a real thing. You know, I think people tend to kind of dismiss that like, yeah, yeah, you got to have a good attitude. And then, you know, you see what they do when they're in any kind of uh, challenging situation and they complain, they feel sorry for themselves. They uh, they start like having a really big ego and, and just make it hard for anybody around them. I mean, attitude is crucial. Um so yeah, I just want to emphasize that again, and we're talking about gratitude, the attitude of gratitude, mm-hmm. um, and being able to count your blessings, being able to um, find the good things is a super important part of that, um, to give thanks. And I'd say that's true whether you're in a survival situation or whether you're just going about your day-to-day life, you know, Um we named the smell that honeysuckle because I was thinking of that that phrase stop and smell the roses and that's kind of the the attitude we're talking about you know like slowing down and realizing like your life is full of miracles and blessings if you are drawing breath things are going right there are blessings to be counted there is something good out there even if you are you can't even go outside um, maybe you're in a wheelchair maybe you just had a, a recent catastrophic accident and things really look down right now I'd call that a survival situation we're all in a survival situation of one kind or another whether it's financial difficulties physical difficulties what have you um, but being able to, able to look out that window and just reflect on that blue sky that that goldfinch flying through your garden or your yard um, everything. The spiker that just started up his motorcycle, uh, you know, like... We're glad he's leaving now. I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That is exactly what I'm talking about. He's on his way out, and we're not going to have that noise. So I can count that as a blessing. It's all in how you look at things. It's that attitude. Um, when I used to do survival overnights, we'd go out in the woods for a number of days, up to four nights. And, you know, on the four-nighter, we had nothing except our clothes. So there were survival challenges, and a lot of times things did not go as you expected. You might feel like, man, I've been practicing bow drill all the time. I can start a fire. That I got that covered. And then the fire doesn't come. So every evening... Um, We'd sit around, and I called it highlights of the day, and I think I got this from uh, 
shoot, I can't remember his name. His nickname's Tofu. He used to be one of the head instructors of Tom Brown's Tracking Nature and Wilderness Survival School. Ooh. Might still be. But I took a trip with him, and he started doing this highlights of the day, and I thought it was a, a really powerful practice. So just getting together with whatever your tribe is at the end of the day and going over the highlights. What are the things that went right? Um, maybe nothing went right with your skills. Maybe nothing worked the way you wanted it to, but something went right, um, whether it was the weather or something beautiful you saw. But to, to nourish that practice, to hone that skill is crucial. I'll, uh, I'll jump in here. There was another exercise, and I might need you to back me up on the explanation of this, but it's called I Love It When. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gumby, you were saying that a lot of times um, you do it with like groups of kids. Yeah, if I have kids, you know, I, I love to start off any kind of a day or activity um, with a Thanksgiving of some kind. And one of the ways to uh, encourage them to find things they're thankful for is I'll tell them like, okay, so we're going to go around and I want you to share something that you love it when that happens. Not like I like it, you know, like "Eh, I like it when whatever my dog comes over. I want to hear what you love. I love it when, you know, put some passion into it. So it's just another way to express that gratitude. And I just want to say like, we've been mentioning in our last couple podcasts how Sherlock got sick and we still have no idea what happened to him but he is rebounded and he is full of life so much he almost got himself killed again the other day bounding down a a slippery rock face and Gumby had to go get him Mm -hmm. but uh but when we were like really really in that dark place we weren't sure what was going to happen to him I love it when people are nice And there was a a situation that we came upon. uh, We had driven over an hour to get to this Motel 6 because we really like how they allow pets for free. And they're like nice um, kind of faux hardwood floors so it doesn't smell like dog piss in the rooms. But anyway, I had no idea that this particular Motel 6 was set up like a hotel. And Sherlock couldn't walk. So even being like in a pet room, they were going to put us on the third floor of this hotel, Motel 6. And I was like, I literally was in tears. I think I mentioned this before. And the, uh, the manager of the hotel, I mean, I'm paying for a room, but he didn't have to do this. He allowed us to stay in a room that wasn't necessarily designated for pets, but it still had that, um, like fake hardwood. And so I was really, really loving the fact that you know, people are sympathetic, even if it goes up against their policies. And it was uh, right next to, like, one of the doors going outside. So yeah. it was it was perfect for our needs at that time. And yeah. Yeah, that was a moment, you know, I, I often look around and think about, like, I get so frustrated and so infuriated by how people are so willing to act like machine parts, just follow orders, um, even if they couldn't tell you in the slightest why the rule is in place or <laughs> what good it does anybody. Um, they'll just say, well, that's the, that's the, the rules. And so it's really inspiring to see how often there are people who will just look at these rules, um, and say, you know, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Screw it. We'll, we'll, we'll do the thing that actually serves someone. So that's really nourishing. And the women that like the staff who were cleaning the rooms, they were also really super nice, just like very conversational down to earth. And I love that too. I love it when people are just like authentic and nice and just, you know, willing to, to see you as a human, as you see them. Mm -hmm. 
And I love it when it's kind of a hot day and I'm feeling really sluggish, like I've got syrup in my veins, everything feels hot and, you know, just I'm kind of run down. And then we come across some like relatively private, beautiful um, area of water like we did yesterday. Yesterday we came upon this new uh, swimming spot for us, bathing spot, that was, it was just fantastic. It had a little waterfall going into it and uh, the rock walls were all around. It felt like you were in kind of a a room of some kind. And I love it when I jump into one of those like areas of really cold water, but I force myself just to splash in there to completely get in. And that reset button happens, you know, suddenly the water's still cold, but I'm not as cold. <laughs> and when I leave that water, I feel so refreshed, reset, um, invigorated. Um, I think of Walt Whitman, you know, he's, I sing the body electric. That, that to me is how I feel when I come out of wild, cold water. Like my body, my skin feels like it's just brimming, vibrating with life and electricity. So I love it when I find a beautiful place to to immerse my body in cold water and have that refreshing reset in the middle of a hot day. Mm-hmm. And we also met um, up here on the parkway. We we talked about this guy named Adam. He was really nice. Um, he actually ended up giving us 20 bucks and we weren't like asking for anything. He just, you know, shooting the breeze and drinking some beers and kind of just being up here in the mountains. So again, nice people. Coach Freddie, there was this other guy <laughs> who had... I forget what kind of car it was, but he had a, um, what would you call that? Like a shrunken head doll thing sticking out? Yeah, it was like a walking stick with like this mummified crypt keeper looking head (laughs) on top of it that was like hanging out his his passenger side window. And his car was like, I don't know my cars really well. The Rolls Royce occurs to me, but I'm not sure if that's right. But it was this really beautiful, fancy, very old fashioned car. (laughs) <laughs> and he ended up giving us some really good samples of, what is that, CBD gummies and yeah. salve, like a Arnica gel that has CBD in it. Man. Yeah, his big thing was promoting CBD oils. So he had all these samples, and he gave us four packs. It had like a little pill, a little gummy, and some salve in, in each pack. So that was awesome. Just gave it to us for free because he met us. Yeah, and... um Guy, yeah, he was like an older guy and talking about playing pickleball and everything, but he was really cool and just open to, again, like Gumby said, you know, kind of recognizing that there are rules and regulations, but seeing that life isn't about that. Mm-hmm. So just, I love it, those authentic people that we meet. Yeah, and there was uh, Nathan in Meadows of Dan, who uh, we got a flat tire and limped into Meadows of Dan, <laughs> and, uh, you know, this guy immediately came out and asked if we needed help, kind of like took the initiative of like, all right, I know exactly where the air pump is. It's free. Uh, how to patch it. You know, he just, you know, jumped on it. Just, um, I think he even bought an extra kit to try to help plug this hole in our tire. Yeah. And he refused any kind of like, I said, can we do anything for you? And finally he, uh, took a beer. (laughs) Um, and (laughs) we later found out the tire was like ruined maybe from, uh, the, the aid we received, but that doesn't take yeah. away anything from the good intention. Oh yeah, that somebody was so willing and so eager to help for no other reward than just that they got to help somebody. Yeah, and Meadows of Dan is just this like tiny little place off the Blue Ridge Parkway that it's got, you know, like a gas station and a cafe and not much else. Um, 
but yeah, that guy was really nice and, and I guess beer is kind of the, uh, I don't know, currency of. <laughs> yeah, I think that's something that everybody feels like if you've got beer, you can afford to share one. And so, you know, I think people that otherwise wouldn't take money, it's like, no, 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 I just wanted to do you a favor. They'll take a beer. It's like, well, sure. That's kind of a camaraderie thing. And I also, um, I, we were staying in that Motel 6 in Bristol, Virginia, and I'd never been to Bristol, um, but it seemed kind of like interesting, uh, maybe like a poor end of town. And just like we've experienced before, um, the people who maybe don't have much, they're always, you know, offering, they seem to always be offering something. And I was walking back uh, from getting some food from the store nearby and this woman stopped and she's like, do you need a ride? And I was like, oh, well, I'm just, you know, I'm almost there. But so sweet just to even think about other people. I don't know. I just love that. So yay, people from Bristol, Virginia. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we mentioned Sherlock, our dog and how God, he was just, oh, I would say he was on his last leg, but he really wasn't (laughs) able to walk very much. So he he had no legs left. Um, but eventually, uh, you know, he's gotten better and just to see, I love it when his eyes get so big when you're about to throw the ball for him. And now he's running and chasing sticks and jumping in water and just having a good old time, just like always. So I love that, too. Mm-hmm. And being up here on the Blue Ridge Parkway, I'm so grateful for this cool air. It's such a welcome relief from everything down below, like in the lower elevations, the heat the noise of the cities, the pollution, and sometimes the people, but not always. And I feel like the Blue Ridge Parkway itself, when I think about it, is kind of a good example of that uh, exercising that power of choice of whether we're going to choose to count our blessings or choose to just get wrapped up in, um, I don't know, things that make us angry and confrontational and oppositional. Like the Blue Ridge Parkway, I, I recognize that this road being cut through here um, brings a lot more traffic. It's become a touristy place. And with that becomes more pollution, more careless people. Um, You know, some of the people, uh, weren't you telling me something about some people were like kind of got screwed out of their land? Yeah, they have signs up here that are, that talk about the history of the parkway and how some people um, decided to sell some of their family land. Of course, you know, again, how did they get that land? But um, other people didn't want to sell their land. And so the government, you know, they decided, well, we're going to take it anyway. So they just now have a road going through their their land. So I could get blinded by that. I could, I could get into an attitude where all I can see is that. Maybe I even boycott the parkway because to me it represents civilization, tourism, you know, all the bullshit that I, I usually hate. Um, but... I also can't deny that it's a blessing for us. This parkway enables us to come up here and escape the heat and just, I mean, one beautiful thing after the other, whether it's a view or a place to swim or um, just fruit that we find to eat, um, just so much beauty. And we can be up here because of this Blue Ridge Parkway. So there's a lot of things like I think of like that. Like, I remember when I was younger, one of the first things I thought of in in terms of this was when there's a little bit of oil in a puddle. Now, 
I hate that. I hate that cars are leaking oil and that when it rains, you may see a puddle with that oil, that oil slick in it. I mean, that's something that I want stopped. I wish we we could change our culture so we don't have to feel like we have to do things to the earth like that to live. And yet, do I need to be blind to the fact that oil in a puddle is indeed beautiful, the swirling colors? <laughs> do I need to blind myself to things to feel strongly about something else? And if I feel like I do, I need to look at that closer. Um, but yeah, I remember kind of investigating that in myself when I was younger. If if I can see the beauty and at the same time still resist the cause, if that makes any sense. But that attitude of gratitude, you know, like in survival situations, how often we find litter, um, a glass bottle. I hate litter. I hate that people are throwing away litter. I hate this consumer society where we just have all these products that take so long to be absorbed back into the earth. And yet <laughs> highlights of the day, counting my blessings when I go out in the woods and I'm in a survival situation, an empty beer bottle. Holy crap. What a labor labor saving device that is to carry water, to boil it so I can drink it and make it safe. Um, it's like the gods must be crazy, which I referred to a lot in different podcasts. But, you know, the, that tribe of the Kalahari Bushmen finding that Coke bottle. That's the way I feel out in the woods. So um, it's a choice. It's a choice of how I'm going to have that which attitude. And I'm going to jump in here with this story since you're talking about um, attitude of gratitude and, and scavenging. Because we just watched this episode when we were in the hotel room um, of Naked and Afraid. And... It's real easy to binge watch that, by the way. But there was this one episode. I have never seen any challenge like this. Mm. I don't know what her actual name is. Um, She called herself the Cajun Mermaid. So if you look up Naked and Afraid and uh, something about the Cajun Mermaid, she's got like wild, I don't know if it's her real blonde hair or what, but... She didn't look like she was going to make it. And their challenge, there, there were two of them, um, guy and gal, and their challenge was to, like, go from the this island chain to island chain in the Bahamas through shark-infested waters to get to their pickup point that was 25 miles away. Island to island. Oh, island to island, yeah, in an island chain. Yeah, one chain. <laughs> yeah, distracted. All right, so um, pretty early on, the guy started getting really bad back pains. And it turns out, after a lot of struggle, he had to leave because he had some kidney stones or something. So here's this woman, the Cajun mermaid, by herself. They've rigged up from stuff that they found that just washed up on the island, all this garbage, like a pallet and just nasty, like, you know, plastic netting and a a tarp with a hole in it. But they rigged up a uh, a raft that they were actually propelling by walking it through the shallow waters in between these islands that by the way have like razor sharp coral there's the sun is beating down and burning their skin the salt water is causing some funkiness to happen on their bodies like blisters and they're dehydrated because it's all salt water and they're trying to find places where they have fresh water My God, this woman kept, she stuck it out on her own for, I think, about half of the challenge, like the 21-day challenge. She 
I had a friend who I guess had passed and she kept on like asking her friend, you know, please, Julie was the name of her friend. Like, please, Julie, like hear me out. Like I need your help. And this woman was just a picture of gratitude. Like she found a little bit of water and she was, you know, satisfied for the day or she found these little like snails or mollusks mollusks and she was able to eat and like have this huge feast in terms of survival and oh my god like just being able to get through that I feel like if she could get through shark infested waters by herself in the dark at night and like on this little makeshift raft with the sun beating down and dehydration and delirium setting in and, you know, starving, I feel like I can make it through the day, most days anyway. Yeah, I interpreted that differently. I didn't really like, I didn't think of her experience as uh, so much as being powerful with gratitude as just toughness. I was amazed by her damn toughness, her resiliency, the way she just set herself into completing that challenge. When I think of uh, gratitude, I think of, and here's another person I bring up all the time, Peace Pilgrim. Mm -hmm. You know, there's somebody who like really knows how to counter blessings. Like everything that happens to her, if she gets arrested by some asshole cop and stuck in jail for a bullshit charge, it's a blessing. She feels like she got put where (laughs) she needs to be. If uh, nobody offers her a place to sleep and she ends up sleeping in a ditch, well, thank God for that ditch. It's a blessing. Um, yeah, I really can't think anybody off the top of my head that better embodies uh, giving thanks than Peace Pilgrim at the moment. But, you know, if you have that gratitude, um, like the next priority of survival would be shelter. You know, you could die of hypothermia on your first night, um, depending on the weather. Um, But if you haven't worked on your attitude, you might build a log cabin, which I don't know how the hell you're going to do that the first night. But your attitude could make that cabin crap. You still might be um, completely dissatisfied with all the things the log cabin is not. Um, you might be afraid. You might be terrified. Um, you might be just overcome with homesickness and curled up in a ball in that log cabin. You know, your attitude will tinge every other skill, no matter how good the skill you are at that skill. But if your attitude is really honed, I mean, practice like Peace Pilgrim, you sleep in a ditch and you feel like it was a blessing. You wake up the next morning refreshed and thankful. Attitude, it's its just, to say it's powerful is an understatement. And when we talk about being up here on the Blue Ridge Parkway in the mountains, it's not always easy for us either. Um, just these past couple days, we've been dealing with an onslaught of just no you know, biting our face and and all manners of insects just kind of being all over us, like biting flies, horse flies. Yeah, the bug season has been rough up here lately. Um, but then to think about being grateful for the breeze that kind of blew away a lot of those insects yesterday. So we had some relief as well as the mosquito nets that we have up in our van now. That we found in a dumpster. Yeah, so... And they're all shredded, too. You know, if, if you've been dumpster diving, <laughs> you know how often they'll shred stuff. So uh, you can't use it. And these screens have shreds all, all in them. There's plenty of holes, but they are a deterrent. They keep out a lot more mosquitoes than would get in with no screens. So we still get the occasional little straggler in there that bites us. 
But uh, we know from last summer when we had no screens and we caught a little bit of the bug season up here, what a night feels like with no screens. Mm -hmm. And that was a bitch. Like the mosquitoes would just wake us up. I'd get in the van in the middle of the night and we'd drive like pretty quick to another overlook just to blow all the mosquitoes out. (laughs) Try to get a little more sleep until the mosquitoes start like waking us up again and drive like to blow the mosquitoes out. That's what it looks like with no screens. So the contrast of that, of... Also, having subjected ourselves to the hard way, even if we didn't do it intentional, that really helps my gratitude. Um, From the survival overnights to houseless retreats, I am so thankful for the times of my life that I have put myself in a situation with nothing, either nothing out in the woods or nothing on the streets of a town, because that contrast has redefined my, uh, my spectrum. I find that because of that, I can be thankful for other, for things that, some other people don't seem to even recognize as a blessing. And I'm really thankful that I've uh, I've incorporated experiences like that into my life. Mm-hmm. But yeah, being up here in the mountains is like way better right now than being down there in the lower elevations. And Gumby, you were saying the other day how the mountains make you feel like a kid. Yeah, that's one of, like, especially at sometimes like some evenings where things are winding down and you're feeling more reflect reflexive reflective 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 um it's just kind of i love the mountains like i've heard that you know spiritual seekers so often they go to the mountain you know like there's something powerful about the mountain and there are times when that that feeling is so raw so strong it's almost uh frightening at times. I almost feel sometimes like I'm almost, it's weird to say, but almost sickened by it at times. Like I'm almost overwhelmed. It's almost like an unpleasant physical sensation at times. But there's something about that majesty of the mountains that makes you feel so small, makes you realize you're so small. And uh, I think about what I thought the woods were when I was a kid. The woods were these vast, this vast, place full of magic and wonder and spirits. And, um, you know, I think about like J.R.R. Tolkien's like, uh, Middle Earth. I think about, uh, C.S. Lewis's Narnia, you know, these enchanted lands. And that's what the mountains here in the, the, the great smoky mountains up here, what they feel like. Um, and yeah, it takes me back to that that feeling of when I was a kid, like these are the woods that I was I was dreaming of and that I I wanted to live in. Um, and it's so hard as we're getting older, you know, we're we're being taught the climate's changing. So one thing I struggle with as I'm getting older is how much of what I perceive about nature and things around me is because I'm getting older, and how much of it is the climate changing. So I wonder if when I was a kid, if the woods down in the Piedmont were more like that, more temperate, more healthy feeling, or am I just getting old and cynical and blind to more things and not able to see the things I saw when I was a kid? But anyway, for whatever reason, when I come up in these mountains, it's easier for me to see that and it feels so nostalgic. It's like a almost forgotten memory of when I was a little kid, like, wow, I remember woods like this. I don't know when and I don't know where, but I remember this feeling. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, just the other day we were sitting looking out over a field and uh, were you playing music at the time? 
Yeah, I think you were. Hmm. We were talking about how it, it feels to play music and listen to music up here in the mountains. It feels like it was made for that. Mm-hmm, yeah. I really see why mountain music, you know, the bluegrass and all kinds of folk music are, are such a, a strong thing up here in the mountains. It, it lends itself to that. It felt like the whole field of grass and, and other plants and the the woods nearby, it felt like that was our audience we were looking out on. It was really nice. Mm-hmm. And I love it when I come across two Luna moths like I did the other day. Mm-hmm. I think they might have been making love. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. I love it when it's turning into a rainy day and oh. this cloud moves in. And, like, we find ourselves completely wrapped up in a cloud. Like, there's rain, but there's nowhere for it to fall because we're in the cloud. (laughs) Um, I remember last summer in particular, we uh, had gone down into town and gotten from a a red box, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. (laughs) And so we brought that up to one of the overlooks to watch it. And, uh, wow, this cloud rolled in and you could literally not see anything. Like, you looked out every window, it was just white, complete white out. And how cozy and magical that felt to be inside of a cloud. Um, yeah, I love it when that happens. I think that might have been at the closest to the highest point on the parkway, if not the highest point. Hmm. So it was about 6,000 feet or something, maybe a little higher up. Hmm. And, uh, God, yeah, even we were talking about the beach, too. And when we were doing the Mountains to the Sea Trail here in North Carolina, hiking on the beach, and how for over 80 miles, we would try to find the sweet spot in the sand and and how grateful we were when we were able to just walk fast instead of sinking down or burning our feet or whatever. And, um, and how we would count the dunes on the beach and how that felt. Yeah, there's this quote that I used to have written in the back of one of my notebooks. I want to say it was a quote by some guy named Thomas Kincaid. That's the name that occurs to me. I could be wrong. But basically he said, how do we build more beauty into our days? Step outside. And I was thinking the other day, like one of the things that makes this kind of life, because, you know, there are times when the bugs are biting and it's, you know, not pleasant. There are times when you get bored. You just assume be binge watching uh, Naked and Afraid in a motel room somewhere. (laughs) There are times when uh, you get a craving for a food that's like so far away. I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna get it while you still have the craving. There's a lot of challenges, um, and I was thinking to live a life like this, where you simplify, where you where you cut off so many of the options that we are taught to feel entitled about. Like we deserve this, we should have this, and you're actually turning away from those things that you got to foster this attitude of being nourished on beauty, which to me is another form of gratitude. And I think about like the beach, you know, we, God, the bugs ate us up. So God, I remember this one morning, the flies were like all over me, not Teresa, me. (laughs) And, you know, I'm trying to like, we had like not been dating that long and I'm trying to convince her that I hadn't shit myself or anything. Like, I don't know why they're following me around. But let me tell you, if you're like just starting to date somebody and the flies are on you like a dumpster and nobody else, that's a hard thing to play off, even for a hobo. And, you know, Teresa, ever the, um, (laughs) the 
unprecedented helper decides she's going to take off one of her flip-flops and beat the shit out of me for like <laughs> a solid mile of walking on the beach. And my God, if she didn't kill the whole fucking swarm of flies, like, I mean, I was probably had flip-flop marks all over my body for days, but, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I don't know how the, the topic of beauty led me to that, but I guess what I'm saying is the beach was challenging. It was brutal hot. So there were times when I got chub rubbed so bad from like getting in the salt water and then overheating that I was kind of waddling around like a duck. Um, like when you get a rash in between your legs from the heat and the friction. Yeah, and Teresa and I salt. are both prone to that. Lucky us. Yeah. But the beauty too, like sleeping on the sand, you know, like it seems like sand would be really nice to sleep on, but it feels fucking rock hard when you sleep on it and you got <laughs> sand fleas. But I remember nights waking up and the stars are all overhead and the, the sound of that soft ocean lapping the shore. And that's what I'm talking about. Like if I had only been focused on my comforts, which I feel like our society tries to encourage us, focus on your comfort. You should be comfortable. How can you be more comfortable than do whatever it takes to get more comfortable? If I'd just been focused on my comforts, I would have shut the door. I wouldn't have experienced any of that. But because I can nourish myself on beauty, and I'm trying to strengthen this. I want to nourish myself more on beauty. Everywhere I go, there is unspeakable beauty to be found. I've got memories of the beach I've got memories of the mountains. I can look around right now where we're at in the mountains. I've got memories of the Piedmont right between, everywhere we've gone across the country. I mean, when I think about it, if I open myself and look, if I count my blessings, if I stop and smell the roses, and by the way, I like the smell of honeysuckle better, hence the, the name of this episode, um, there is so much beauty to be nourished by. And I am so thankful for, it's like the world is made of beauty. See, if the sand had been more comfortable, you would have missed all those nighttime skies. Yeah, I might have just slept through it. And the sound of the ocean. And remember walking at night and there were all those crabs that were walking across the sand. And I'm you glad you said me. that about the sand. That's exactly what I'm talking about. That's why I was thinking about the beach earlier is even the things that don't seem like the obvious blessings. When I say a starry sky, you're like, oh, yeah, that's a blessing. When I say hard sand that I couldn't sleep on and I woke up with a sore back the next morning, that was a blessing, too. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. That's that next level of count your blessings. That's when you're really starting to like cultivate a good attitude. And by the way, Teresa and I, like, this is not something we're good at. We're not writing books on how to have a good attitude or anything. Um, <laughs> Teresa complains a lot, probably more than me. I get into like grumpy funks, you know, where I just am not paying attention to much of anything. Teresa, you're, you're, I think you're better at that than me. Um, you tend to complain more, but you also tend to notice more beauty. You'll stop and look at things. Whereas I'll just kind of get like, all right, I just want to like get a bath and then I want to go lay down and whatever. But, uh, we've got a lot of work to do, but when, when Ken get to that place, my God, I mean, there's always blessings to be counted. I love it when I am able to hear the sound of a woodpecker and then locate it. Mm. And it looks just like Woody Woodpecker, the cartoon character. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I love it when we were just at this overlook that was amazing. And we could see the storm rolling in. Mm-hmm. And we could see the storm as it came across this town down below, like 1,800 feet below. And we could see the storm as it approached us. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, we were just watching this wall of like milky white and the sound that a storm makes as it approaches you. It almost sounds like man-made. It almost sounds like a factory hum in the background, but it gets louder and louder. And if you wait too long, <laughs> you get buckets of water on you. But it is amazing to just experience a storm like that. Mm-hmm. So even if you get soaked, it's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful for that. And I love it when it's been rainy and all of our stuff is wet and, and <laughs> we're kind of feeling and like uncomfortable. Things are starting to stink. And then the sun comes out and we get like a bright, sunny day to just like put our stuff out and find a little spot of shade for us to relax in while our stuff dries out, open up the van. Um, I love feeling so thankful for that sweet sunshine. Mm-hmm. And you were also talking the other day, uh, we did, I sing the open road, which was dedicated to the, the poem by Walt Whitman. And you were talking about just how Walt nailed it. Yeah, we were trying to like actually look at Walt Whitman's life and figure out when he was a tramp. And he might not have ever been a hobo or a tramp, but somehow he tuned into that level so accurately. Um, and to be I mean, he might have been a tramp, too. I'm not trying to say he didn't. We don't know. Yeah, right to us. <laughs> <laughs> but so many of the things he says, like uh, we find ourselves quoting lines from that poem all the time. Like Teresa often says, everything in its best light. You know, like <laughs> we went to Hardy's the other day. So we go down to this little town, Buena Vista. Sounds like it's going to be like some fancy tourist town. It is like a ghost town. It's so quiet. Um but the view from the town is terrific. So I guess what they, that's what they meant by Buena Vista. So there weren't many places to eat. We stopped at a Hardee's and uh, my God, the food there was so good. Just, you know, your little Hardee's restaurant. Um, and that was an example where we were, you know, thinking about everything in its best light. Getting out here, getting taking that risk, you know, just throwing yourself out there. As Walt Whitman said, scattering yourself among men and women as you go, tossing the new gladness and roughness among them. Um, and just even a cheeseburger from Hardy's in its best light, the best Hardy's cheeseburger you could have. Delicate, equable showers of cheese. Yeah, that was another phrase. That, that's <laughs> the cheese. one That's the one I always quote from the Song of the Open Road is how the light falls in and delicate, equable showers. I love that. You know, sometimes the just when the weather's just right, the sunlight's right, you can feel those delicate, equable showers of light just enhancing everything. And I, well, I love it, but I also am grateful um, for Gumby because I realized the other day how much he is a part of how I live. He's not just a part of my life. I mean, he's always there, and I know I'm always there. With him. Always. All the time. But it's the way in which we live, where we get to talk about, you know, quotes from Walt Whitman poems and and find these hidden little beautiful, like, waterfalls, swimming holes that if anyone else knows about them, they weren't there at the time. And just, yeah, I mean, living in a van or living in a tiny house or hitchhiking, hiking trails... Whatever it is, there's just something about him that is is just very 
very special, and I'm grateful for that. <laughs> I haven't called special before, and yeah. I, uh, I think they meant something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say that's one of the challenges Teresa and I have with attitude is we are around each other every waking moment. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's never any chance to miss each other, not even for the length of like a, a work day or something. So that can really easily get in a rut of like taking somebody for granted that you're around all the time. Um, but yeah, when you stop and practice, it's a practice, you know, to count those blessings. They don't, sometimes you, you find yourself in a place where it's so easy. It's almost hard not to count your blessings. But I'm talking about those times when like you got to make a practice. You got to look for it. You got to, you got to hone that skill, dig deep. And, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be out here doing this in this way without Teresa. Um, and Teresa's so supportive, like, you know, Teresa does most of the cooking, um, you know, gets the food for us, um, just offers so much, takes care of Sherlock when like he's eating his special food to try to recover. Um, and really, like I said, helps bring our focus back often to the beauty, to like wanting to look at things like Luna moths and, you know, the the beauty of like the flowers that we pass, stopping to smell those roses, sunrises and sunsets, and your your courage um, that Teresa has taken on so much. Um, you know, I'm just really impressed with the courage and the willingness to try all this crazy shit we're trying as we're trying to escape society. So, um, I know that's a big thing for a challenge for a lot of people is the loneliness, the isolation of like. When they stop playing the game, they find themselves feeling really alone. And God, so many times in my life, I've been that person as well. So at the times in my life when I find that I do have a companion to, uh, you know, for the company, for the support, for just the the doubling of ideas to get to be wrong sometimes, um, that's a pretty big blessing. Hmm. Gumby gave me this book uh, before I, I quit working. Um, I started reading it and I'm, I'm just, I'm terrible at finishing books. I start like five or six of them on a whim and then I don't finish them. Um, but I am still reading this book called the joy of not working. And the author is Ernie Zielinski. Um, it has great quotes in it. It's, it's funny at times. It's, uh, it's deep at other times. And I like how I've read it and reread it now and really have, a better understanding of what the guy was talking about than when I was working or when I had just stopped working. But I, uh, I recently got an email from a, uh, an old coworker and I recommended the book and, and told him a little bit about our adventures. And he was just, you know, wishing that he could do that very thing, like simplify his life. And he has a family and I understand that, you know, it can be very difficult, but man, I, I wrote to him, I wrote back and I, I recommended this book And I also said, just remember, you have one life. One. And I guess in the context of gratitude, to just be, like, aware, to be thinking about everything that you do each day. Like, are you you feeling, like, grateful? Do you have gratitude if you're working? Are you feeling, you know, grateful for your family members, for your house, for your, you know, electricity or whatever bills you have to pay? Like, 
Is there gratitude there? Are you grateful for that? And if not, why the hell are you still doing it? Like find that in your life, that happiness, that feeling of gratitude, because you only have one life. And if you cultivate that gratitude for the simple things, the more you back away from the, the things that rob you of your time and your energy, the more you find yourself surrounded by those beautiful things that you've you've taught yourself to, to see and feel grateful for. Yeah, my coworker talked about how he it's hard for him to get up early in the morning, but he did the other day and he saw like this deer that was eating leaves off a tree. And I was like, that's awesome. See, that's what will get you up in the morning. It's not necessarily going and exercising and, you know, feeling like, oh, I have to go do this. It's that that feeling of like, wow, I wonder what it's going to be like tomorrow morning. Like, I can't wait. Mm-hmm. I love that sound of rolling thunder. I love it when bikers come up here on this Blue Ridge Parkway looking for pretty things. <laughs> Taking selfies of pretty mountains in the background. And I love it when we get high and play chess. <laughs> and I beat you. Yeah. Yeah, Teresa beat me yesterday. <laughs> I beat him good. And then we played Crazy Eights and you fucking beat me again. <laughs> well, I think you beat me first. Huh. And then I clobbered you. Uh-huh. So, Gumby, uh introduced me to this Thanksgiving address that I would like him to to help me out to lead and uh, maybe this could be something if you're you know if you're listening and you're trying to find a way to incorporate more gratitude into your life maybe you can also practice this Thanksgiving address yeah this Thanksgiving address um, everything I know about it came through the wilderness awareness school um, with John Young and you know, there's the whole issue of appropriation here. Um, but apparently this was passed on to him with, with blessings um, from a man named Jake Swamp of the Haudenosaunee Nation. And the, this these words before all else, also known as the Ohen when the words before all else is another name for the Thanksgiving address. Um, there was a time long ago when their tribes... Um, there was five of them and later six when the Tuscarora joined, were at war. And I'm not going to try to tell the whole story of the Peacekeeper, which is a brilliant story. I would like, maybe we should do an episode and tell that whole story because it's fantastic. Um, and if I get any of this wrong and you hear it and you catch me, please take the initiative instead of just like griping about it to yourself to write in and I will read what you write if you have a correction. Um, but here's me taking a shot at it. Anyway, this peacekeeper showed up and um, he convinced the people to lay down their weapons to stop the war. But he found that the people were still, there was so much loss in the community um, that people were still sad, um, just really down. And so there was another person, Hiawatha, who inspired the Longfellow poem, but Hiawatha, the original Hiawatha, is a much different character. But he brought the words of condolence, the songs of condolence. So he actually introduced like the other half of the peacekeeper's message, traditions and practices like gratitude that brought the people out of their funk, that let them like um, come through all this darkness they'd been through and renew themselves. And so these practices of peace 
a big part of it was the Ohen Karatakwin, the words before all else. So when these tribes came together, and by the way, our founding fathers um, based a lot of our country's um, early politics on the Haudenosaunee, the Iroquois Confederacy, because they needed to figure out a way to bring these different colonies together. And the Haudenosaunee had done it successfully for many, many, many years with these different tribes that were once at war. Um, And the words before all else, when they had a council, they would take the time to do this very long, detailed Thanksgiving. But when you create a practice of that, you realize like giving thanks together with someone is one of the most important things you can do because what they're basically saying is in this talk we're about to have, we may disagree about things and we may feel very heated, but we've taken the time and quite a bit of time to remind ourselves, I appreciate this and you appreciate this. I love my children. You love your children. We have so much common ground here. Let's remind ourselves of that. Let's reinforce that. Let's bring our hearts and minds together, and let's build from there. It is a powerful thing. That's why when I'm working with kids, I always start with some form of thanksgiving, like I love it when. Um, And anyway, the form that it got taught to me through the Wilderness Awareness School in a class that I attended and later on in the Kamana Naturalist training course um, is a certain order of things to give thanks for. And they would also use it as an inventory when you go to your sit spot just to remind yourself to, like, look for these things. What are these things doing? What is the state of these things? Um, So, yeah, that's the background of the Ohen Karatakwan, the words before all else. So actually, now that I'm saying that, we should have started the episode with it. But Well, here. I recognize that. I just, I feel like there, there was a way for us to like organically open the episode. And I feel like this is just a really nice way to, um, to sum it up. And hopefully people that are still listening can maybe begin their day with this. And we did start it off with a Thanksgiving. So, mm-hmm. all right. So I would like to start by giving thanks to people. Um, this is where the Thanksgiving starts right here at the, the, the innermost intimate circle. Cause I'm of the people. So when I say people, I'm talking about the human people. Um, I'm thankful for my parents. Um, the things they taught me that I don't want to do by giving me an example of that. And the things that they taught me that I do want to do by nourishing me, by taking care of me when I was helpless, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for somebody acting in the role of a parent when I was a helpless baby and a helpless toddler. I'm thankful for all my teachers. Um, My God, so many people have taught me so many things throughout through through the years. You know, from authors, of books I've I've read, um, the classes I've attended. Pretty much, when I look at every skill that I value now, I didn't invent any of it. I've refined a couple things, but they came from other people. And I'm thankful for all the people in this weird experience we find ourselves in, this unprecedented experience. Every other creature on this planet, to my knowledge, has been able to grow as much as it can and only been stopped by outside forces. We're in this unprecedented situation where we have grown past many of the limits. We have, through our cleverness, I wouldn't say we've broken those limits, but we have, uh, what am I trying to say? We've procrastinated the results. We've we've kept them at bay for a while, and they're you know we're feeling the effects of them starting to come hammering in now. But I appreciate that all these people 
all had good intentions every step of the way. Even in our industrial society, I feel like every person I look at, I, even to, to the Nazis in Germany, everybody in their own mind was doing something they thought would improve the world. And so I am thankful for good intentions of those people. Is there anything you want to say about people? Well, I mentioned earlier just people being nice and, and loving that. So, yeah, thank you. And I am so grateful to all of those people who have helped us. Um, yeah, some of you still remain anonymous, but thank you. So the next uh, level or the next uh, area of Thanksgiving is Earth. And what can Earth be thanked for? Um, I love the earth and how it feels on my feet, especially in some places in the forest where it's so spongy and almost like bouncy and some places where it's so cool and in some place where it's so rocky and rough that it makes me slow down and really appreciate my surroundings, the sounds, the smells. And I guess, yeah, without the earth, I mean... Where would we live? Mm -hmm. I'm thankful for Mother Gaia, you know, these soils beneath our feet, the skin of Mother Earth. And uh, for COVID-19 right now, you know, uh, I feel like it's a mechanism, uh, so to speak, a system upon the Earth to slow us down, to try to bring health and equilibrium. It's not that the Earth has turned on us. It's that the Earth is is looking for a balance that serves all the children of the Earth, including us. Um, Our actions are not even serving us at this point. So the earth is helping, you know, when things like COVID-19 show up, I try to remind myself that this too is a blessing. It's all in how you look at it, how I choose to look at it. Um, And again, that doesn't dictate what you do. This isn't about wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. This is about whether we're cursed or blessed. And so much of that is choice. I also want to give thanks to water. Um, So easy to give thanks to water up here when it falls out of the sky, these beautiful rain showers, these thunderstorms, these waterfalls. And I am so thankful that I live a life that for me, like taking a bath every day is finding like a a beautiful river or creek, you know, to get into (laughs) that's surrounded by life, that the little fish are swimming around my ankles and the crayfish are watching us. And um, sometimes a little water snake swims by, but it just feels like so remarkable and enchanting. And um you know, sometimes I just look around when I'm taking a bath. Here's uh, Teresa and I were with our white naked butts out there, you know, and it, <laughs> it's easy to like start getting into a mindset where you take that for granted too. But then to stop and like look around and like look at where we are. Like this could be the, the you know, except for our white naked butts, like the, the a postcard. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it could be a postcard. Depending on the postcard, yeah. But yeah, I'm just so thankful for water, for the water we have to drink, even the water fountains. You know, we come by these places and we don't have to treat the water or worry about it. There's like we're at a ranger station right now and there's a water fountain here. So, so easy to just get water to cook with and drink with. Just made rice and beans that wouldn't have been possible without the water in this water fountain. Um, so for the waters everywhere, and as Tom Brown Jr. said in one of his classes, water is wild wherever we find it. There's no such thing as domesticated water. Um, it is the lifeblood of Mother Earth. Mm. And within the water, Gumby mentioned some of the water beings. And I am thankful for all the playful crayfish and rainbow-colored fish that I've seen. And 
the little water striders that are amazing to watch. And yeah, I just, I mean, we, we have been eating, uh, some water beings lately, tuna and, and Sherlock's been eating salmon. Um, <laughs> fancy. fancy. And I am grateful and thankful for the gift of their life and, and how different, like just pondering how different their world must be, especially watching fish and crayfish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm particularly thankful for the crayfish. They seem to be a, a companion wherever we go. And, uh, they're a water quality ind- indicator that indicates clean water. So other than just their personality and their presence, I, uh, appreciate what they represent. Um, I am also thankful for plants. There are so many plants up here in the mountains, especially this diversity of plants. And even the plants we're familiar with back home, they tend to be a little, especially in the summer, a little more tired and droopy looking up here. They just look like they're at their full vigor. Um, And we see things we don't see as much down home, like uh, green coneflower and black cohosh. Um, Even the plants that we don't specifically use for ourselves, it's just I feel so grateful for their presence and their beauty. Um, The little flowers coming out, the water hemlock, oh my God, the powerful poisonous plants that are just so straight and proud and tall and formidable. Um, I'm thankful for all the medicines the plants offer us, even when we're not getting them directly from the plants. Most of the medicines we use are an extraction um, of some of these medicines found in the plants. Wild yam. Yeah, wild yam. And the foods, we've been incorporating uh, wood sorrel, dandelion, violet, green coneflower. Um, stinging nettles. Stinging nettle. Sheep sorrel. You know, we just try to like incorporate a little something into every meal we eat from those plants because there's so much good food medicine, which is kind of the same thing when you use it right, I believe. Um, And not to mention that, um, well, I am going to mention it, so that's a silly statement, but that we wouldn't be here without the plants. They turn light into food. And the only reason we can be here is because they do that. So I'm so thankful for the plants making my life possible. And as you may here in the background very soon, uh, Sherlock, I am thankful for animals, including Sherlock. And we've seen a lot of deer. We've seen, uh, well, Gumby saw a uh, vole or a shrew or both. I think both at different times. And uh, we've also seen indications that there may have been bear around, whether it's bear scat or really big wide trails or the sounds of something that's like a like a Sasquatch or something in the, in the uh, berry patch. So yeah, just the presence of all these other beings that they're, you know, walking amongst us and, and sometimes we don't see them, but it just kind of leads to, uh, I don't know, intrigue and curiosity and, and wondering about their lives too. Yeah. Two animals other than Sherlock, of course. Um, <laughs> You know, I tend to, I think he got inducted into the human tribe, so I don't even really think about him in this category much. But um, I think about the elk. You know, they tried to reintroduce elk to one part here on the Blue Ridge Parkway, a little further north than uh, like Cherokee. And um, they found that the habitat is too fragmented for the elk to survive. The elk died out there. So I'm really thankful for the elk where they have survived, way down on the southern tip of the Blue Ridge Parkway in the Cherokee. Um, lands. And so thankful to see those elk, those giant majestic elk, those those gentle spirits of the forest. 
and I feel very thankful for the black bear. We saw one last year. We haven't seen any yet this year, but just knowing they're out there, I feel like the black bear are one of those species that like are real caretakers of this forest. Um, I, I feel so thrilled to be in a place that there are bear. Um, it feels right. It feels like there should be bear. We should not be we should not be able to walk every place on this earth and just feel like there's nothing that can hurt us. That kind of hubris is not good for us. I like the humility of like having to think there's something out there that could kick my ass. <laughs> I think we need that desperately. So I'm thankful for the animals. And also another thing the Haudenosaunee will um, say sometimes in this part for the animals is they remember their original teachings. All the animals are following the original teachings they were given by the Great Spirit, by Big Brother, um, yeah, not the Big Brother of 1984, mm-hmm. um, but that we can remember our way back to being true human beings through the animals because they remember how to live on this earth. And so much of we, what we consider human is borrowed from other animals. They keep the teachings alive. They remember those things. Every time we wipe out another species of animal, there is a teaching that is gone. It's not just the little the little critter that went away, which is sad enough. It's a teaching. It's a specific way they lived that now is gone. Mm-hmm. Every time a tribe of people is wiped out, the same thing. So I'm thankful for the animals for remembering the old ways, the true ways, the, the, the ways that um, connect them to the earth and that these teachers are alive for me to learn from, from squirrel, how to build a shelter to, you know, the, the trapping skills of spider. I'm thankful for all the animals. Another. Well, oh. actually, and, um, you were given thanks for the animals. So I want to give thanks also for the trees. Um, the trees, which clean our air, the trees, you know, that tower above us. Um, every now and then I stop myself and like look at a tree with fresh eyes and remind myself what I'm looking at. I'm looking at a life form that is a giant, uh, that is sometimes hundreds of years old, that towers above me, that has so much mass that when it falls in the forest, it makes a forest gap and you can feel the earth shake when it falls. You know, this... If there was a human being that had that much mass and that much height and that much age, it would be such a mythical creature. Mm -hmm. And here it is. And just because it doesn't have human form, I shouldn't overlook what I'm looking at, this living creature, Um, the shade that the trees provide, the, as I said, the cleaning the air. And the other day I was reflecting that um, quite a few times over my life, I'll say that the trees are an extension of us, that... They're a part of our lungs, that our sense of self is actually much bigger than what we're taught. Our lungs are partly outside of our body in the form of these trees. And I caught myself the other day, and I realized how anthropocentric that is. It's more accurate to say that we are an extension of the trees. The trees were here first. If we disappear, the trees will survive. The trees disappear, we don't survive. Mm. So it's more accurate to say that this whole human being, this whole human experience is a offshoot of the tree being. Not that the trees are part of my lungs, but that I I am a part of the tree's breath. So thank you, trees. And we're sitting under this, would you call that a pasture tree? I would, yeah. It's, It's a kind of a pine tree, but it's it's much bigger. It's taking up a lot more space in this open, oh, um, it's a pine tree, grassy area, and 
it's not only just a tree, just a tree, but it's got lichen, it's providing uh, a habitat. There's a whole ecosystem happening here. There's ants going up and down. There's some vines climbing up. And I'm sure at different times there's been, you know, birds and squirrels and everything in its branches, not to mention the shade that it provides for everything underneath. And, uh, yeah, I'm just very thankful for the tree beings. And that leads me to birds. And as we've been driving on the uh, Blue Ridge Parkway, I'm a passenger, so I get to look out at all the beautiful vistas, all the views. And I started putting my arm out and pretending like I'm a bird flying because a lot of times the road will, well, you can see like right down into the valley. So I imagine that's kind of what a bird is looking at. Around us, uh, we're finding a lot of ravens. We're hearing a lot of whip-her-wills in the night. Mm-hmm. And Gumby got to see a ruffed grouse the other day, and I'm so grateful mm-hmm. <laughs> that he got to see it. Darn it. Um, as well as so many other birds, from bald eagles to goldfinch to uh, great blue heron and everything in between. Mm-hmm. And the wild turkeys. Mm-hmm. Toeys. Yeah, and the birds are kind of the phone line of the forest. I'm uh, wanting to do an episode, Native Literacy Songs, where we talk about bird language. Again, John Young wrote the book on this, but uh, the birds also offer us so much information. It's said that the birds, for those who know how to listen to the bird language, the birds not only tell you everything about the forest and what's happening there, but also um, in realms that we can't physically go to, Um the birds were said to be ambassadors to the spirit world in some instances. So I'm really thankful for the, the voices of these birds and all the information and the stories they share, um, whether we happen to be tuned in at that moment or not. I'm, I'm happy that they're there. Um, and riding on those, uh, what the birds ride on, I'm, I'm thankful for the air and the uh, wind, you know, the different winds that bring different energy the, uh, you know, the, the east wind in the morning and the south wind when it's uh, warming up and getting, it smells so uh, like sweet corn. I'm thankful for the different winds and the different energies they bring in this air, you know, that um, it's so important to keep like fresh. Um, I'm really thankful for all the wind currents up here in the mountains and um, yeah, just thankful for all of it. And Teresa's taking care of Sherlock right now, so I will take her next one. Um, I'm thankful for the clouds and thunder beings. Those clouds that uh, give us shelter from the sun, you know, especially up here at the mountaintops. We get to see clouds doing all kinds of beautiful things. And little baby clouds being born sometimes, where it looks like they're being born in the valleys below. Um, the fog that rolls in. I'm thankful for... Uh, you know, these, these thick banks of fog and these big uh, clouds that we find ourselves buried in. Um, thankful for the storms they bring, the lightning, um, and, of course, the rain. Um, the rain is such a blessing, even if it's challenging at times. I'm very thankful for the rain that falls from the sky and nourishes us and replenishes our water. Um, I'm thankful for the sun, the sun overhead, that the source of all energy um, this beautiful bright sun that shines down, that dries out all of our stuff when it gets wet. 
I'm thankful for uh, Grandfather Sol, um, S-O-L, which I like that it sounds like soul. Um, the sun is such a miracle. Like whenever I get in a talk with somebody about miracles, um, I often say, all you got to do is look up on any given day. There's a, a an explosion so vast happening over our head, so so powerful, this entity that you can't even look at it. It'll burn your eyes out. I mean, this sounds like if nobody had seen the sun before, it sounds like a description of God, that you can't look directly at God um, without losing your vision. So I'm thankful for the sun. The sun, like the earth, gives us everything we have and everything we know, and everything is a form of that sun. When I see uh, people talking about solar power, um, we're already all solar powered. Um, we've got all the solar power we need. Um, and Teresa's back. Thank you for taking care of Sherlock. <laughs> So here's where we are. Moon? Oh, it's a full moon right now. So I am really thankful to be experiencing these dark, dark nights in the mountains and then have this huge light up in the sky in the middle of the night. And I often have to get up and go to the bathroom. So <laughs> it's really helpful to be able to have that. But but seriously, the moon and I have had a, a great relationship throughout the majority of my life. And I just feel like... Whatever that energy is, it's so soothing and cooling, and I'm so appreciative and thankful for it. Mm-hmm. That uh, grandmother moon, grandmother Luna, you know, she said to uh, control the cycles of the earth from the tides to the, the cycles of women, um, just tied in with so much of the uh, the circles within circles in our, our universe. And I'm, I'm thankful for the moon. And there's this old story um, in India about how rabbit got put in the moon. And I used to look up and see the man in the moon. But uh, ever since that story, what I look up now and see is the rabbit in the moon. And you should look for it if you haven't seen it, especially <laughs> when the, the moon is full. Um, you'll see those long ears of rabbit. And uh, without telling the whole story, basically, this rabbit was so selfless that uh, when all the animals were thinking of gifts they could give to show their generosity, rabbit gave her own flesh. She jumped into a fire for a poor beggar who was actually a god in disguise to, to test her resolve. And um, for this, the god saved Rabbit from the fire and put her up in the moon. Um, and it said that the moon isn't just a reflection of the sun's light. The moon glows with its own light. And you can see that. You know, Science tells me that all I'm seeing is the reflected sun's light, but there's something different about moonlight. Um, I don't need science to explain it to me. I see it when I go out on a full moonlit night. Um, the earth is a different earth bathed in that moon's light. And the story says that that light comes from the heart of the rabbit. And it's meant oh, to remind yeah. us that we're all connected, which brings me back to the cycles within cycles within cycles. Mm. Um, and I, I, I like to choose to see the moon that way now. I love it when you tell stories like that. <laughs> um and also the stars, our most distant ancestors, you know, we, we are the children of the stars, of exploding supernovas, all these elements coalescing and, and forming the structures of our bodies, you know, the carbon and the, all the elements on the, the periodic table, um, our, own, our own star, our own sun, you know, with its uh, helium and hydrogen. Um, I am thankful for these stars that hold our stories. I was told um, that a lot of traditions see the stars, they credit them with story keepers. They'll even have names for the stars that basically mean story keepers. And 
I thought it was so interesting that in our culture, even now in our mechanized culture where we like to just whittle everything down into math equations and formulas and pretend like nothing has that that mystic light, if you look in a field guide about stars, all you see are stories. <laughs> there's there's names of Greek myths, mythology. Um, even now in our culture, we can't extract the story from the star. And that is a really wondrous thing. And of course, the stars that, that guide our way, you know, I think about what does a story do, a native story? It gives you guidance. It helps you remind, rem- remember something. Um, you know, maybe you've, you've lost your way in the hunt and there's this indigenous story about how a hunter one time like humbled himself and didn't kill the first thing that crossed his path and his power grew as a hunter and it reminds us how to be a good hunter. And look at the stars up there still, not just holding the story, but also giving us guidance. The North Star, um, navigating in the night when there's no moonlight. So I'm thankful for all those beautiful stars up there. Mm-hmm. And the stars are an example of our ancestors and, and teachers in many ways. And I'm thankful for all of the people in my family, my ancestors, that, uh, that passed along their knowledge as well as, like Gumby had mentioned earlier, just all the people in our lives that have taught us something. Even if they're not, you know, teachers by, you know, profession, they're just people that are in a certain situation that you encounter and learn something from them. So um, I'm thankful for those teachers, and I'm thankful for Gumby as my teacher in a lot of ways, and not just in nature and wilderness skills, but in a lot of in a lot of ways, um, helping me to see myself in different ways. And I think about, again, in indigenous culture, how important, and also in uh, some Asian culture, ancestors. Um, That's something that isn't really given the same importance in my culture, but I think about what it does to a culture to, like, think about your ancestors are still out there watching you um, and to feel, like, protected and empowered and guided by that. And I think we've really uh, robbed ourselves of a, a powerful part of our humanity in not keeping that tradition alive. Mm. Um, you know, I think about all those people, like I said, you know, all those good intentions, even if we look back on what they did and uh, really vilify it now, they probably thought they were doing the best they could at that time. And, uh, you know, what are our descendants going to look back and see that we've done? Mm-hmm. Um, or will we not be as equally vilified? Um, even though you might feel right now you're doing the best you can, you don't know how to do any better. So those ancestors, you know, there's so much, uh, so much wisdom there. And, uh, I'm thankful for all the things that have been brought through that long lineage. And when I say ancestors, I also think about how far back, you know, before we became uniquely human. When I say ancestors, we all share common ancestors. To think way back in time to the common ancestors reminds me of the whole family on this planet Mm. and that we are all among our relations. And I'm thankful for the spirits. Um, We're reading Don Juan, Carlos Castaneda, and he talks about uh, inorganic beings. He calls them allies. But in a lot of... uh, traditions that it's believed that there are things that we can't see. Some people even believe Sasquatch is a uh, one of these beings that is only seen some of the time. But uh, 
You know, I'm thankful for these unseen beings, whether you call them ghosts, whether you call them the little people um, that guide us, that share our world. There's so much more. Even even our our science teaches us that there's way more happening out there than our eyes bring us. Um, so when I say spirit, I'm talking about all those things we can't see um, that sometimes whisper on our, in our ears and give us guidance that tell us not to do something or or tell us to do something. And we find ourselves barely missing a traffic accident, um, surviving something that we really shouldn't have. Um, I credit all that to the spirits. And, uh, you know, one of the traditions that I was taught in the tracker school that I sometimes share with kids when I have the opportunity is a spirit plate, you know, to take a little piece of bark or a leaf and have everybody before you eat put a little bit of food on this plate and then find a place that feels special and give it back. And, um, you know, I remember one time that started a really interesting conversation because the uh, the little girl that was doing that for our group noticed that some of the, the critters were eating it. And so we talked about what do we mean by spirits? Mm-hmm. Like, can't they move through all things? Maybe the spirits move through the ants. Maybe the ants are spirits. Um, you know, so that blurry line, I'm thankful for the spirits that share our world. Yeah, I came across that um, in Hindu culture and how leaving food out for gods often leads to ants or cockroaches or mice sometimes, other things, and how we have stories like, you know, this god came disguised as a this or that, a butterfly or a, you know what I'm saying? Like, why do we think that that's so far-fetched and what can we learn from observing these still these traditions that take place and to not so quickly discount as just a fanciful story Mm -hmm. and that leads me to the great mystery because you know being up here in the mountains but but everywhere we go it just seems like there's so much there's like fungus interacting with different things in the soil to create the fruiting body of chicken of the woods or, you know, trees having mast years. And there's just so many things that I don't understand. And that is okay. Mm -hmm. And I am just so grateful that I don't have to worry about that. There is so much going on that is so intricate and so beautiful. And I don't have to worry a thing about it. I can just enjoy it and be grateful for it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think about the great mystery, and I think about um, anarchists will often say, no gods, no masters. And uh, I think what they're rebelling against is what our culture often calls God. And we seem to describe a dead God, a resentful God, a God that's always feeling bullied, that's like not allowed in Congress, not allowed in the schoolroom. Like, you know, the <laughs> it sounds like a little kid getting picked on on the playground. <laughs> that's not the God I'm talking about. Um, I really like how... Indigenous cultures will often have a word for God that basically means great mystery. They're acknowledging that the universe is, you can't dissect it enough. Um, That the intrinsic nature of the universe is to be mysterious and that there's something more going on there. Um, Even when I study ecology, you know, when I, I start realizing all the connections between everything, everything is a part of a web, to think that anything is random starts being kind of questionable. Um... So that's what I think of with that great mystery, that that spirit that moves in all things. There's another name I really like for this this thing, this uh, phenomenon. Um, you know that that connecting thing, that that outer circle. Um, 
And it gives me comfort too, because we're a part of that. You know, no matter what's happening with your body, no matter what happens next with our culture, no matter what happens with our planet, there's no way to be out of the hand of that great spirit, that that outer circle. We're, we're going to be okay. And that's the power of the great mystery for me, um, to humble me and to reassure me, not into complacency, but to be moved by love, not panic. And finally... I give thanks for the future generations. And when I say future generations, again, I'm not restricting it to the humans. The future, the cubs, the the pups, the kittens, the the children, um, all future generations, the saplings, all the things that are going to inherit this world from us. Um, We have inherited a world from our ancestors. And it's a direct result of how our ancestors treated the world, how much they thought of us when they chose their actions. So I give thanks for these future generations and what they remind me to do and to consider um, that myself goes on and that those future generations aren't just other people, things that have nothing to do with me. They're the next part of a story, just as I'm the next part of a story of, of all those who came before, those ancestors. So for those future generations, they help guide my actions. Um, just as I was once helpless and utterly dependent on those who came before me and would not be here if they didn't show compassion. Um, there's a whole new wave of, of creatures that are going to be utterly helplessly dependent on my compassion. And so I want to leave something good behind, not even strictly just for them, but as a mark of how I lived, um, how much, how much wisdom I possessed, how much I could see, how much I understood of the the world I inhabited. So for the future generations and all those who come after, I give thanks, those not yet born. So that is a actually pretty abbreviated form of the entire uh, Thanksgiving address, the words before all else. And they would actually um, often, these tribes would stretch that. They would be quite a bit longer. But taking the time to have that Thanksgiving, especially nowadays where we're so divided, where if you vote Democrat, you can't hear a Republican. You think you need, you know everything you need to know about a Republican. And if you vote Republican, you think you know everything you need to know about a Democrat. You can't see the individuals anymore. Um, there's no common ground. There's no equivalent to where we get together and like, let's do an extreme where the white nationalists get together with the Black Lives Matter movement and do a Thanksgiving together to recognize, hey, we both care about our kids. Wow. Hey, we both like having trees around. Neither one of us wants to live in the middle of a barren desert. God, if we even had that much wisdom, imagine what a better platform we'd be on for anything that comes next. If anarchists could get together with politicians even and sat down and do a Thanksgiving, at least that would be a conversation. Nothing's happening except a bunch of tantrums. Um, it's powerless. So, yeah, the power of gratitude. And let me give thanks to the Haudenosaunee. Um, I've been using that in my own interpreted form uh, for many years now, and I'm really thankful for their their version of Thanksgiving. Yeah, me too. God, when we've... We've sat in beautiful places, and we've sat in the van in a, a rough day. <laughs> and 
Oh, yeah. I used to use that for survival overnights, too. I forgot about that. Like on our last morning when we'd leave, we'd do a Thanksgiving mm -hmm. um, that was different than the highlights of the day that would be in the evening. But when we all packed up, we had our backpacks and we're ready to go. Our last act would be to do a Thanksgiving, and often it was this form. Yeah. So I encourage our listeners to to maybe rewind and write those those steps down and pay attention to the order they're not random either i've had a lot of years to kind of think about why are, why is this order this way and there's a pattern there mm -hmm. but yeah even if even you know your thanksgiving is for various foods that you're eating whether it's plant-based animal-based or what have you i mean there is a thanksgiving to be had um just in your everyday life you know going to work and that's something i got to give the christians credit for i really like that uh you know, the fellowship of the, when they join hands and uh, say grace before the meal. Um, can't say I always like the words that they choose, but at least they're taking the time to give gratitude. Yeah. And I think that's a tradition we could all benefit from. Yeah. And I am also, also, I am also, I am also, I am it's also, that haircut. Yeah. Her haircut makes her look like a little Japanese boy. I think she's picking up the accent. I'm grateful for our listeners. Um, I believe this name is pronounced Andreas, uh, wrote in and said, I really love your podcast. Can't stop listening. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, as always, you can comment, ask questions, um, critique us, add any information. You know, maybe we said something wrong or you have more information on it. So please feel free to contact us. Our website is escapingsociety.weebly.com. That's all lowercase, um, escapingsociety.weebly.com. We also have a Facebook page, uh, type in Escaping Society, and our YouTube channel, which we keep trying to make videos and add those um, during our summer in the mountains. And uh, Gumby, did you have anything else? Oh, yeah, we're always looking for gigs, whether it's uh, pet sitting, house sitting, or anything else you might... Uh, have information on, even if it's a website that has gigs that you've used and, and really like. Um, we hit up Craigslist all the time, and it's hit or miss. So if you have any information on gigs or places that we could uh, live in uh, cooler, temperate climates or just something that's really a beautiful place that we should check out, feel free to contact us. And we, as always, thank you for listening. And uh, we have a donate button on our website now, so um, thank you for the couple of people that have donated already. And if you're moved and able, um, that's a great way to show support to our podcast. And I just wanted to throw into Andreas. Uh, correct me if I've got your name wrong, but uh, drop us a line. I'm curious to know if you're still listening. I wonder, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, when you wrote that, you said you can't stop listening. <laughs> I wonder, <laughs> kid, did you stop? <laughs> Hopefully not. But anyway, uh, bye.
Thank you for listening to our song. It's not very good and it went kind of long. Don't care if you like it because we'll be gone over that next horizon.